been wronged by someone recently? It happens to us all. Pastor Ed Taylor suggests the following approach. No matter who has wronged you and no matter how they've wronged you, forgive them. Because if you don't forgive them totally and unconditionally, you'll soon find yourself, just like Joab or Abiathar, waging war in another needless, costly battle with more people and more casualties. This is amazing grace. We've all been hurt by the words or actions of another, even by people in the church. And it's at such times we have a choice to make. We can seek revenge, get angry, and even bitter, or we can forgive. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll be encouraged to extend grace and forgiveness to others, just as God did to us through His Son. Now at the first of many studies in 1 Kings, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. As those of you that have studied with us through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, you know that he's had some tremendous highs and some real difficult lows and everything in between. And yet even still, we know him today as the man after God's own heart. And we find him in chapter 1 of 1 Kings on his deathbed as the kingdom is presented with some significant challenges of who will take over the throne. Notice with me in verse 1, now, King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he couldn't get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our king, our lord, the king, and let her stand before the king and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom that our lord, the king, may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. And the young woman was very lovely. She cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. Basically, King David is in a convalescent type of care in these last uh, few moments of his life, and he can't keep warm. It reminded me of my dad. Uh, my dad in his later years just could not get warm. He would even have a, a heater, one of those portable heaters in front of him, not, not even six inches away, but he couldn't get warm. And no matter what you did to put on him or like David, they put covers on, they put blankets on, and not able to keep himself warm, they called for a young woman to come and warn him. And while it looks... As you probably read ahead, it looks and seems interesting. This isn't a sexual thing at all. It has nothing to do with anything sexual. One commentator put it this way. It was customary in ancient times to warm an elderly person, not only by covering him with her blankets, but also by putting a healthy person in bed with him or her. The body heat of the, per of the well person would keep the older person warmer, and David's physicians chose Abishag to provide nursing care for David as well as to warm him. And since David was the king, they found a beautiful nurse for him. So nothing weird. Uh, it was customary in that day. Today we might turn up the heat 
Uh, we might put, you know, turn the thermostat. It wasn't so in that day. Verse 5. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? Remember, this is one of the weak parts of David's life. When you look back in your life, uh, when he looks back on his life, one of the weaknesses that he had, and we see it throughout his life, was his parenting. Uh, at times we see him doing good things, and at many times he doesn't deal with the rebelliousness of his kids. And it might just be a simple word for some of you as parents, challenge, ch being challenged with some of the decisions your kids are making, and you've got to parent them. That's why God put you in their lives. You've got to parent them and lead them in a godly way to a relationship of their own in Jesus Christ. You, you can't believe for them. But the Bible speaks of training our kids and pointing them in the way. And here, David, he finds more difficulty. He doesn't rebuke his son. Now, verse 7. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok the priest, Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Rai, and the mighty men who belonged to David were, with, were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen, fattened cattle by the stone of Zoheleth, which is by Enrogel. He also invited his brothers, his king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. To me, I'm reading this, and it's another sad episode uh, in the life of David. Here he is on his deathbed, convalescent care, and another son is rebelling against him. If it wasn't enough of all the things that he had to endure with his son Absalom, now in his final moments, he's got another son being taken advantage of, being taken advantage of their dad in this weak state that he's in. Adonijah is David's fourth and oldest living son. He's probably about 40 years old at this time. Amnon, remember, was killed by Absalom. Absalom killed by Joab. And now his eldest son, he thought, was automatically the kingdom would be his. But obviously Adonijah is not walking in the spirit here. He's not being a godly man. Because according to the Bible in First Chronicles, it's already been declared. God has already spoken who the next king's going to be. And that would be who? Solomon. God's already said that. For reference, you can jot it down. First Chronicles chapter 22, verses 9 and 10. So what this rebellion is, very similar to the rebellion of Absalom, was... Not a rebellion first and foremost to David, although he's going to take the brunt of it. And isn't that what spiritual warfare is? People's rebellion against God? Who takes the brunt of that? You do. And I do. We suffer the consequences of people's sinful decisions. The Bible speaks of God's heart being broken. But isn't your heart broken from time to time? of the difficulties of people's decisions. That's what's happening here. He's rebelling against God, not just David. So he begins to promote himself. It's a familiar, it's a familiar pattern. He promotes himself, and he starts to feel out the people of who will join him. And if you read carefully, he was very selective in who he invited. He convinced, in verse 7, Joab. Joab, we've watched him. There's a word for guys like Joab. He's an opportunist. 
He is one of those guys that thinks he's so sharp that he can think ahead and plan ahead and align himself. And he's probably still really upset that David appointed Amasa after the rebellion of Absalom was over. Remember, instead of Joab continuing to be his general, David appointed Amasa, which was a wise move on his part. And here he was able to influence Joab, but not just Joab, but also in verse 7, Abiathar, a religious man. Abiathar, the priest. A man of God would join him in rebellion. But Zadok didn't join him. Uh, Benaniah, verse 8, didn't join him. Nathan didn't join him. As a matter of fact, verse 10, he didn't even invite Nathan the prophet or Solomon, his son. It just spoke to me that this kind of stuff happens all the time. People wanting to recruit you to their difficulties and wanting to draw you to their side. I don't, in my life, I just want to be Nathan. I don't even want to be invited. And when they're thinking about people and they're thinking about a list of people to go, you know, I think we can get Joab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we can get Abiathar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think Nathan would join us. Yeah, that's right. Don't even invite him. Yeah. I don't want to even get involved with that kind of stuff. Isn't life so filled with enough of the things that are in our lives that we don't need to be joining someone else's rebellion? I mean, we, don't, we, we just keep our eyes on the Lord, be led by the Spirit, let people do what they're going to do, and let people say what they're going to say. But I want to be, like, be like verse 10. They didn't invite Nathan the prophet. Good. Good. I hope Nathan wasn't offended over that. <laughs> I hope he wasn't like, oh, I wish they would have invited me so I could have said no. No, I don't want him to be involved. The Bible speaks about us being innocent in that which is evil. I just want to be innocent of it. I don't even want to be on a list. If some big thing's happening in the church and we're gonna, now we're trying to take sides, I don't even just mean in the local congregation, but you know, we, everybody wants you to take sides. Just like Joshua, he was so, in, in Joshua in the battle, he's so worried about the battle. And remember the angel of the Lord came and met him there. And Nathan asked, I mean, Joshua asked him a great question. Whose side are you on? And you know what his answer was? No, I'm not anybody's side. I come here and representing the Lord. And so Nathan and Solomon not being invited was a good thing. And I believe they didn't invite him because they knew they wouldn't participate. That's their reputation. Their reputation was, you know, somehow I think as well, the text doesn't quite say, but I don't think Adonijah is that uh, innocent or he is that ignorant of the Bible where he knows Solomon's next up. And it's just so cool that as they're not being invited into this stuff, it's just that was their reputation. They're not going to get involved. And probably he knew Solomon was going to be the next king, and he's not even messing around with that. And I asked, I was, you know, looking at this, I wonder why they would rebel. Why would they rebel after all these years? Why would Joab and Abiathar join Adonijah after all that they've seen with, their, with David already? After all that God had got them through, even after some bad mistakes, God was still gracious. Well, I suggest to you, and you can chew on this, meditate on it yourself, especially for your own heart. Not necessarily for these guys. It's over for these guys. But for us, could it be that they were hurt by David? That bitterness had taken root in their hearts? As I mentioned earlier, Amasa was named general after Absalom's rebellion. Zadok now has a 
prominent place with David as his, he, as we read through that Zadok has taken more of a prominent place as a priest with David than had Abiathar and they're nursing some grudges in their hearts. They're nursing being upset. No matter who has wronged you and no matter how they've wronged you, forgive them. Let me repeat that. No matter who has wronged you and no matter how they've wronged you, forgive them. Because if you don't forgive them totally and unconditionally, you'll soon find yourself, just like Joab or Abiathar, waging war in a never needless, costly battle with more people and more casualties. And there were those that just didn't join. There were those that just chose not to get involved. Zadok, Benaniah, and Nathan not even being invited. These mighty men were not with Adonijah. That's, they, they weren't with him. That's what it says in verse 8. They weren't with him. And let that be our hearts not to be with the rebel. Let that be our hearts not to be the rebel. But rather to walk in the simplicity of our relationship with Jesus Christ in in forgiveness. Now, when the question with forgiveness always comes up, but, you know, pastor, they didn't ask for forgiveness. Forgive them. And maybe the relationship's not going to be mended. With relationships to be remended and reconciled, repentance is needed. But remember forgiveness. We've looked at this topic many times in the life of David. Because in many times in the life of David, there have been a lot of hurt personally. And isn't that true for those of you that have been around the body of Christ long enough? There's a lot of hurt in the body of Christ. You could say it in a very real way. As believers in Jesus, we are like walking wounded. I mean, I would say that if we had testimony night, there'd be some of you who say, I was hurt the first day I ever showed up at a church, ever. Some lady did this and said, I took her chair and she pulled my hair and I kicked her in. You know, it's like, wow, that was a crazy church. But you know, just, just offenses. Jesus said offenses will come. And we're shocked and we're surprised and we're hurt because we're human and, and what happened did hurt us and what happened did crush our spirits. But remember forgiveness? Jesus said this. Jesus said this. Jesus said this our Savior. He said, forgive others their trespasses. That if you and I don't forgive, he said something pretty profound. I can't really explain the fullness of the theology of it, understanding the grace of God and the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ. But he said something very profound. He says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. I think that has a lot to do within our relationships, I think. I don't think it's from the Lord. I think that there's going to be a bunch of broken relationships if you... And remember, the idea of forgiveness is releasing someone from a debt, forgiving their debt. And Jesus had a lot to say on forgiveness. Maybe that's what we're seeing here. doesn't really say. But now that we know the history, you know, we've followed through the history of them, and here they are after all they've been with David, they're now joining a rebellion. It doesn't say they started the rebellion. It doesn't say there's a conspiracy. It doesn't say that they've been planning this for years. It just seems to me, just like you and me, given the right opportunity, the right situation, and the right temptation, we'll all sin. All of us will. We'll do things that we'll, we'll just look back and go, why did I do that? 
So no matter who's wronged you, no matter how they've wronged you, forgive them. Warren Rearsby writes, Often in Bible history, it appears that the truth has fallen in the street and equity and justice cannot enter. Isaiah 59, 14. But the Lord always accomplishes his purposes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands, Psalm 9, verse 16. Adonijah's great feast was the signal. David's loyal servant needed to inform David that it was time to name Solomon the king of Israel. Notice verse 11. So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba and the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Come, please, let me know, now give you counsel that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go it immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? And then, while you're still talking there with the king, I also will come in after you to confirm your words. Nathan sees all this happening. He goes to Bathsheba and says, Look, Adonijah's declared himself king and not Solomon. And Nathan had this sensitivity about the Lord. He was able, he had this relationship with the Lord, uh, the kind of relationship that God can tell him, go to David and tell him this story. And then when he agrees with you and he flips out and he pronounces judgment on the man in your story, look him in the eye and say, you're that man. So not only do you have a sensitivity with the Lord to hear from the Lord, like he is here, he's sensitive to the situation, he's sensitive to what's going on, but he also had the boldness and the courage to do what was right when it needed to be done. And God moves him to get involved. Verse 16, And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king, and then the king said, What is your wish? And then he said to him, My lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now, look, Adonijah has become king, and now, my lord, the king, you don't know about it. He sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he is not invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne and my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. Now, there's an observation here that's very interesting to me. I don't have the full explanation for it, but it's interesting. Maybe you picked it up. Uh, Nathan comes to him and he says, Look, Adonijah's the king, verse 18, and you don't know about it. But when you look back in verse 6, he says his father hadn't rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? Maybe that's a reference to discipling his kids growing up, but maybe it's one of those times when you see what's happening, you know what's happening, but you refuse to acknowledge it. It's a very dangerous place to be where you have full knowledge and you can see it for what it is. And instead of facing it, instead of dealing with it, instead of opening the Bible with someone or, you know, praying and, and really telling somebody, speaking the truth in love, you refuse. And by the time Nathan comes, he, I, he could be just saying, you just don't fully understand what's going on with your son, man. Somebody's got to do that from time to time. You just don't fully understand. Praise God for the Nathans in our lives. 
with, with our time in First Kings, it's going to end pretty well. But it doesn't always end well with that kind of conversation. And it would be much better for us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and continue to disciple our kids, loving them in the ways of the Lord. Because as weak as a feeble as David is, his wife brings back a little vitality to him by telling him what's going on. There's more crisis in your family, David. Notice verse 22. Now, just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. Why? Because they planned it this way. So Nathan's setting up. He knows what's going to convince David. So they told him, the king saying, here's Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king, his face to the ground. And Nathan said, my lord, O king, have you, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me? And he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And look, they're eating and drinking before him. And they say, long live king. Adonijah he has not invited me even your servant nor Zadok the priest nor Benaniah the son of Jehoiada nor your servant Solomon has this thing been done by my lord the king and have you not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him so just like they planned after Bathsheba's final word Nathan comes in he's introduced established what she's saying is true and this reminds me, if you're taking notes, just jot it down. Deuteronomy chapter 19 gives us a very important principle when it comes to the need, the biblical need for witnesses. Deuteronomy 19 tells us that there are a need for two witnesses. Let me read it to you in verse 15. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits, but by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Jesus picks that up in Matthew chapter 18 when he talks about reconciling. When you go to your brother, you and him alone, and if he doesn't hear you, you take a couple other. If he doesn't hear you, go to the church. This is what he says in Matthew 18, 15. Jesus says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. You've been listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace and our very first study in 1 Kings. Request a CD copy when you give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-304. 7223, or go online to calvaryaurora.org. Again, we're at calvaryaurora.org. Ed, in today's lesson, we noticed the importance of forgiving others. As you know, this is an area many struggle with. I'm sure there's someone listening right now that is harboring unforgiveness in their heart. What would you like to say to them as we close? Wow, Larry, which one of us hasn't harbored unforgiveness in our hearts at one time or another? Uh, It is such a difficult thing to accept wrong, so much so that the Bible even says, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, why don't you rather just accept wrong? It is such a battle for us to accept wrong. But the way out of this prison is forgiveness. No matter who has wronged you, no matter how they've wronged you, the answer is forgiveness. And I can already hear some responses that say, well, I don't feel like forgiving, but forgiveness is an act. It's not a feeling. So that even when you don't feel it, even when you don't want to, even when you don't feel like doing it, it's a choice. 
And it is the key that will release you from anger, frustration, bitterness, and all those negative, nasty emotions. And I just hope that the Lord will bless you. If you'll email me, Pastor Ed at CalvaryAurora.org. That's Pastor Ed at CalvaryAurora, A U R O R A.org. I will, and mention the topic of forgiveness. Say, Pastor Ed, I heard you on the radio and I want that packet on forgiveness. I will respond to that email with a link with a little packet on the topic of forgiveness and reconciliation that we use here at Calvary. It's powerful. And it is specific, and God will use it in your life. But please, email me, because I don't want you to keep living in this prison of unforgiveness. Here in the month of October, we've picked out an excellent book written by Gene Edwards called A Tale of Three Kings. This bestseller features the stories of three kings, David, Saul, and Absalom. We've all been hurt by the words or actions of another, even by Christians. And it's at such times we can be left confused, angry, even bitter. Allow the Lord to bring hope and healing into your life as you read A Tale of Three Kings, a study in brokenness. We'll send you a copy with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And please remember, it's through your financial support that we're able to come to you day by day on this station. Your gift, whatever the size, would be greatly appreciated. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. There's much more to come in 1 Kings. Join us each day as we go through each chapter and verse on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora. 